This week on Blue 58, Aaron Rodgers is speaking his mind. Or is he? We'll take on his contentious, secretive comments and the subsequent walkback. Then why I think the Packers might want to seriously consider Des Bryant. Yes, Des Bryant. And why Aaron Rodgers will be getting a new helmet in the near future. Plus, a word about running backs and the NFL draft. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one, the only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Mudick. I'm excited to be with you here for episode number 77. Just over a week to go before the draft, everybody, so hang in there. We've got some good stuff coming draft-wise. But in the meantime, the Packers are back in Green Bay, and they come to Green Bay under the cloud of some comments by Aaron Rodgers and some comments by some other people who... Well, we'll see who those comments were from here in just a second. Let's talk about what these comments are. Um, We all know that Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are in the midst of contract negotiations. That's been news, old news, for some time. And we know that they're probably going to get a deal done here in the near future. I don't think anyone seriously believes that the Packers and Aaron Rodgers are going to go their separate ways for, among other things, some reasons we'll touch on here in a second. But today, an article comes out from Yahoo Sports, uh, written by Charles Robinson, a reporter who we have no reason to doubt and who seems to have a very well-sourced, well-written column here. Basically, he writes that the Packers and Aaron Rodgers are, are getting a little bit contentious here. Things are getting contentious between the two of them, based in part from some comments from an unnamed source close to Aaron Rodgers. Here's what those comments are, the juicy ones at least. Uh, Rogers apparently not super happy with some of the decisions the Packers have made, and he is voicing his displeasure to this unnamed source. Here's the quote. Both of these decisions with Nelson and Van Pelt were made without him. In both situations, he had no influence with the front office before anything went down. I know he's thinking about that stuff when it comes to the next contract because he should have earned a voice by now. In other places with elite quarterbacks, consideration is given to those guys. I think Aaron wants to be engaged in some decisions, but that's just not the way it works in Green Bay. I think that's obviously frustrating, and it's going to keep coming out. Now, there is a larger point here, but we do have to take some issue with the the substance of these comments here. Uh, I don't know where this league source is looking, but I, I don't see a lot of other quarterbacks having a tremendous amount of influence around the league in their front offices. And the ones where that may be happening, I don't think are particularly successful franchises. But let's just go all the way to the top. Everybody compares everything to the Patriots. So let's just look at the New England Patriots. Just look at how things have unfolded there over the last 15 years or so. Does that really look like a place where Tom Brady has a lot of influence on what's going on? Because if anybody should, it should be Tom Brady. Now, obviously, he doesn't because the Patriots have done some things that obviously would run afoul of Tom Brady, but things have been successful and they've worked out and everybody has done their job, to borrow the Patriots phrase, and the world has continued to spin on Patriots' planet. Now, beyond that, who else could have that kind of influence? I don't think anybody. Really, I don't think there's anybody else who could have that degree of influence. Maybe Peyton Manning when he was at the peak of his powers in Indianapolis, but as you saw there, things went south in a hurry. Uh, He was shown the door when it looked like he wasn't going to recover fully from his injuries and the subsequent surgeries. I don't think he was calling the shots, and if it could have happened anywhere, it could have happened with 
with Manning and an owner who is very willing to do some unusual things. This is a fantasy that Aaron Rodgers should have any sort of voice with the front office or that there's any sort of comparison here to anywhere else in the league where this is happening. Now, for his part, Rodgers has walked this back. Uh, When the Packers had some availability today, he had some things to say about this. Uh, Quotes from PackersNews.com. This is a professional environment, Rodgers said, but as humans, we have personal connections to people. Obviously, he, Jordy Nelson, was one of my closest friends in the locker room for a number of years and played together for a long time and talked about really finishing his career here and together and making the most of the opportunities. The disappointment is when you get close to your teammates and they're not here anymore, especially when they're not here and playing somewhere else. But the organization is making decisions that they feel are in the best interest of our team, and you've got to trust the process. And he went on to say the process works. Uh, He clarified a little bit further, they're paying me to play quarterback to the best of my abilities, and their job description are to handle those types of things. So I think you act accordingly in those situations. So what's really happening here? Well, first, I think we we have a couple questions we need to answer. First, who is the source that is is throwing out this information about Rodgers? I think to get to the, the bottom of that question, you have to ask yourself, who stands to gain something from giving this information to the press? I think you have either an agent or Aaron Rodgers himself via proxy, uh, a family member or an agent. And we know a couple members of Aaron Rodgers' family who he has remained somewhat close to have been willing to talk to the media both on and off the record. So I think it's fair to say that this information is coming either from Rodgers or someone who has been directed to speak somewhat on behalf of Rodgers. I don't think that's a bridge too far. Since we have a pretty good idea of who's talking, what is this person, be it Rodgers or someone close to Rodgers, speaking on his behalf, what are they hoping to accomplish? One of two things. First, leverage. Right now, Aaron Rodgers does not have a lot of leverage. He has two years left on his current contract, and after that, the Packers can franchise him at least twice. Uh, He's going to be going into his age 39 season by the time that entire process plays out. So he's got to do something to create a little bit of urgency, and putting these statements out gives a little urgency to the situation. Oh, we've got to do something. Aaron Rodgers is unhappy. Maybe you just get the Packers to blink, and they give in to some of your contract demands. Secondly, he's just issuing a statement of value. Gary hit the nail on the head when he talked about Aaron Rodgers' last somewhat unusual comments to the media. He wrote this on our blog. The quarterback's messaging this offseason has been crystal clear. The Packers organization is moving on from people I, Rodgers, view as important to the success of the football team, and my value to you should increase as a result. Gary's got a great point there, and to expand on it a little bit, I think this is a lot like someone going into their performance review with an employer, saying, look, I'm taking on an an extra workload here because of some of the decisions you make. I think my pay should be increased to reflect that. That's all that is. He's just trying to get what he thinks is his value uh, clearly enunciated through the media, and the media is more than happy to do that on his behalf. Rogers is very conscious of how he is portrayed in the media, and downplaying these comments in a way that he has allows him to maintain some separation from that aspect of the story while still manipulating the process to make himself look good and make him seem valuable to the Packers. And I think that's really the bottom line here. This is all about negotiation and leverage, and Aaron Rodgers is trying to get 
as much money as he can by establishing as much leverage as he can. That is what's going on here. And I think once we see that contract inked between Rodgers and the Packers, all of this is going to go away. Once the Packers sign Aaron Rodgers, they're going to want to keep him happy. I think one way to do that is to seriously consider signing Des Bryant. He was unceremoniously released by the Dallas Cowboys late last week, well after the start of free agency and well after the time when teams should be throwing around a lot of money at free agent wide receivers. Undoubtedly, the Cowboys cost Des Bryant a lot of money by cutting him this way. I'm not sure what's going on there. That's not really relevant to our part of the story, but I do think it is particularly interesting. I think, though, that the Packers should be interested in Des Bryant. And I know there are a lot of drawbacks there. Uh, He is not a, a young player. Uh, He certainly has some drama issues that come along with him, and he and the Packers do have a certain amount of history Uh, that is not necessarily positive, and Bryant himself has alluded to this. But I think there are reasons that the Packers should consider signing him. First and foremost is this, that Des Bryant does his best work where the Packers are the weakest. And by the Packers, I specifically mean Aaron Rodgers. You are probably familiar, if you spend any amount of time on Packers internet, uh, with the work of Justice Mosqueda. He does some great work for his own personal site, Setting the Edge, does some work for Inside the Pylon, has a great podcast. But really, he does the best part of his work, I think, on Twitter. But you are probably familiar with him for his his draft work and, and things like that. But he had a very, very interesting point um, about the Packers' decision to sign Jimmy Graham. In an article titled, Jimmy Graham Will Help the Packers Become More of Who They Already Are, he points out that Aaron Rodgers is by far the best in the league among all quarterbacks in the red zone. No one can compete with the amount of success that he has had in that part of the field. And as we know, Jimmy Graham is perhaps the best pass catcher in the entire league in the red zone. No one is more productive than Jimmy Graham an isolation play featuring Jimmy Graham is probably the most deadly uh, red zone play an NFL team can run. So Justice argues that the Packers aren't really improving their team in a substantive way or making them rounded or really even helping Aaron Rodgers. They're just becoming more of what they already are. Here's a, a quote from his article. At least on the surface, the signing of Graham probably means more field goals converting into touchdowns than drives landing in scoring range. Uh, Basically, the Packers are just getting more points in situations where they're getting points already. Um, An earlier point of the article, uh, the slip in Aaron Rodgers' play in recent year has only come from passing efficiency in the middle of the field, which may be due to head coach Mike McCarthy's play calling. Uh, In the red zone, he's still a wizard. The Packers, for the third time in three years, signed a significant tight end in free agency. This time, he's the most red zone-leaning tight end among the top 20 tight ends from last season. Those are the facts. Indeed, those are the facts, and I think it's a good point. Uh, Graham doesn't help the Packers' offense become more well-rounded, at least based on how he's performed the last couple of seasons. What does this have to do with Des Bryant? Well, Des Bryant does his best work in the middle of the field. Even in his down year last year, 52 of his 69 catches came between the 20s. And on those 52 catches, he produced 35 first downs. That's very comparable, even a little better than what Jordy Nelson did last year. He had 30 first downs on 53 catches, or 30 catches of his 53 catches were in between the 20s. 29 of them went for first downs. Jimmy Graham, on the other end, uh, did not do super great between the 20s, and that has been the knock on him. Just 36 of his 59 catches were between the 20s, and just 20 of them 
went for first downs. I believe Des Bryant is the sort of player that can help the Packers move the sticks towards the middle of the field and can get them down towards the red zone where Aaron Rodgers and Jimmy Graham can do what they do best. I think that's why the Packers should consider signing Jimmy Graham, and I hope to see it happen. Now, obviously, there's a a lot of things that could play into that, uh, the history, uh, things like that. Uh, The money is going to be a big factor there. But assuming things are are affordable, I, I would like to see Des Bryant in a Packers uniform. This one is a fun one. And this is one where we got to do a little bit of actual original reporting here. Aaron Rodgers is going to have to change helmets heading into at least the 2019 season, perhaps as early as this season. Uh, Word came out yesterday that the NFL and the NFL Players Association had completed their annual testing of 34 helmet models used by players in the NFL. Among those was a a helmet model known as the Shut Air XP Pro, and that is the model used by Aaron Rodgers. He switched to that model uh, during the 2010 season when he had two concussions, the first against Washington, the second against Detroit, and has won some, worn some variety of the shut helmet ever since then uh, and hasn't had any concussions in that span. The Packers were pretty unwilling to uh, give any details about what variety of helmet he wore, uh, but I was able to confirm with a representative from Shut that it was, in fact, that Shut Air XP model, and that is one of the 10 that will be prohibited by the NFL uh, at some point in the next couple of seasons. A few of those models are outlawed from the start right now. The other four are grandfathered in so that players that wore them last year will have to find a new helmet uh, by 2019, probably, but will have the option to wear them next season. Why is this interesting? I don't really know if there's a a reason that I can explain to you. Either you're going to find this interesting or you're not. But I do think that uh, it is interesting to see this come out in this way. And it is a little bit fun for us to have a little bit of a, I don't know if you'd call it breaking news, but but have an exclusive here. So um, one other aspect of this story that I found interesting was chin strap attachments. So Aaron Rodgers uses the very traditional two-point chin strap attachment. It's got one snap on one side and one snap on the other. That is very similar, as careful readers of the power sweep will uh, will remember, to what Brett Favre used for the duration of his career in Green Bay. Uh, and as we know, that's become kind of the de facto style for quarterbacks in Green Bay, the two-point chin strap attachment. But the model of helmet that Rodgers used does not offer a two-point attachment. The Packers, according to Shutt, would have to have made that adjustment on their own. This is a special aftermarket adjustment just for Aaron Rodgers to continue on this legacy of Brett Favre with the two-point chin strap attachment. I think that's fascinating, and I hope you do too. Switching gears here, staying on offense but switching to a different position, Got to wonder about the guy like Ty Montgomery heading into the NFL draft. Help at wide receiver, and they drafted a boatload of running backs last year. So where does that leave Montgomery? If the Packers draft a receiver, presumably that bumps him down the pecking order there. And I don't see any real reason for him to jump over uh, Aaron Jones or Jamal Williams. We've done some significant work in the past on where number three running backs fall, and that should be a concern for fans of Ty Montgomery. Uh, We've examined each season over the past few and found that the player who carried the ball the third most uh, tended to be a virtual non-factor, and Ty Montgomery was that player in 2017, due in large part to injury. During Mike McCarthy's tenure from 2000 
2007 to 2017 that play that tenure dates back a little bit further but those players essentially averaged a stat line of three carries 11 yards and one reception per game so if that is montgomery's role going forward where does he really fit in on offense next season i've never really been a big fan of how the packers have used their running backs Uh, uh, mccarthy likes to kind of pick one guy and stick with him for at least the duration of a drive that lets the Packers go no huddle and uh, gives them some some flexibility about changing formations out of one personnel group. I don't love that because I think by the time you get to the second or third play of a drive, the defense has a pretty good idea what's going on and any advantage you might have had from from keeping the running back in there the whole time kind of disappears. McCarthy also very, very rarely does the change of pace back type thing just bringing a guy in for one or two snaps then then going back to the other guy I think that is to his detriment and uh, I wish he would do things a little bit differently so what does that leave for Montgomery headed into 2018 I think he's probably back to a hybrid sort of role I know the Packers view him as a running back I know he thinks of himself as a running back but really I think it's going to be running back and wide receiver for Montgomery in 2018 I think he has had a good deal of success, both as a slot receiver and as a, uh, a running back. Even if he's been good. But um, I'm not sure there's a full-time role anywhere for him on the Packers offense. They're kind of gonna, just going to have to drop him in where he's needed. Now, things could change quite a bit. Uh, last year, every single running back on the Packers roster missed some amount of time due to an injury. And if that happens again in 2018, and there's a good chance that it probably will because running backs tend to get hurt because of the nature of the position Montgomery may end up playing a role more exclusively as a running back or a receiver again but at least at the start of the season I think we're looking at a hybrid role at best for Montgomery he's supposedly bigger and stronger again but we're going to have to see it on the field Montgomery is in a way right back to where he started as a rookie trying to find a role and I don't know if the Packers have any reason to give him a significant one right now. Why is that? Well, there was a sneaky good thing about Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones last season as we transition into another topic here. These guys just do not get stopped behind the line of scrimmage. Jamal Williams had just six carries on 153 runs last year that went for negative yardage. That's a rate of 3.9 percent Aaron Jones just a little bit worse but still very good five runs for negative yardage on 80 carries together 11 runs for negative yardage on 233 carries why does that matter well running is inherently inefficient especially when you have Aaron Rodgers at quarterback Aaron Rodgers averages uh, around seven yards per attempt for his career uh probably even higher than that I know significantly higher than that in some seasons and as a result even the best running back is uh, is not going to have a, a prayer of being as efficient on a typical play as Aaron Rodgers is it just doesn't doesn't work that way uh, you just aren't going to pick up as many yards on a given carry as Aaron Rodgers is on a given throw so with that in mind other than a turnover losing yards on a play especially on a running play where you're already less efficient is about the worst thing that can happen to you making sure you're at the very least not losing yards is a great trait in running backs if you can't bring something to the table at least don't take anything off of it 
Let's take a quick look at how this compares uh, to some other running backs in recent Packers history. Ty Montgomery, as we mentioned, very, very solid running back, but his best season in terms of uh, not losing yardage was last year. He lost yards on just four of his 71 carries. Eddie Lacy, this surprise back season, was 2016, where he lost yardage on just six of his 71 carries, 8.4%, twice as bad as Jamal Williams. Uh, in his very, very good 2014 season, by the way, Lacey lost yards on 19 of 246 carries, 7.7%. That surprised me. James Starks, the other real big uh, carrier in the Packers' backfield over the last five seasons or so, uh, was not good at not losing yards, especially later on in his career. His final season in Green Bay, he lost yards on 11 of 63 carries, 17.5%. I'm sorry, James, not very good. Uh, but even in his... Uh, the the previous two years he was never better than 10 percent and 2013 though he was he was real solid on just 89 carries though he lost uh, yards on five of them 5.6 percent so something to keep in mind as the Packers head into this season with a, a stable of uh capable running backs it appears like while I've got you here we've got to talk a little bit about the NFL draft uh, we are just over a week away from the NFL draft and uh, we need to manage some expectations as we head into this little stretch run. What the Packers need in this draft is not going to be equal to what the Packers need from their roster next year. I'll give you one example. Chances of finding a receiver who can be as good as Jordy Nelson was, even last year, are probably pretty slim. It's, unless you're taking a, a real stud of some kind in the first round, and I'm not sure there is that guy... I don't think you're going to find a guy who can replace Jordy Nelson in the draft this year. But the chances for the Packers adding depth along the offensive line and at cornerback and at edge rusher, I think are very good. And you may even find a star at one of those spots, but that's not really the point. What the Packers need from the draft and what every team needs from the draft each and every year is just a few guys who can help you become a more complete football team from top to bottom if you're in the draft and you're hoping to find a star that's your expectation from the draft you're going to have trouble because no one can draft that well you might find a star every couple years every other year if you're really good but what you're really looking for is guys who can who can help your roster become more complete top to bottom so maybe two or three guys who can be starters in their first season Maybe a couple of years down the line, your draft class is up to five or, or even six starters if you're really, really doing good. Maybe if we're really lucky, one of those guys or two of those guys will be pro bowlers. But really, you're looking to find guys who can be at the very least starting caliber talent. And I've got a hope for, for the Packers this year. They need a bunch of guys who could be starting caliber players. And that's what we should be shooting for as fans. Don't talk yourself into this guy that they picked 14th overall being the second coming of whoever the greatest player was at the position they happen to play. That's unfair to the player. That's unfair to yourself. That's probably unfair to the Packers. And you're probably going to end up just being frustrated and sad because it's really, really not going to work out for you um, unless they, they happen to get real lucky and get a guy who's a stud from day one. And that could happen. But I think the better way to go about it is to just consider the this process as bringing on board guys who can who can help the team 
but most importantly, aren't just going to be wasted picks. The Packers have had a lot of guys over the past two or three years that ended up just being sort of empty picks, just guys. Richard Rodgers, as much as I love him, was never more than, at best, a replacement-level tight end in the NFL. Wasn't a particularly great blocker, didn't do a whole lot as a receiver, and really wasn't a special teams player. He was fine. And you got to shoot for a little better than fine. You probably want to be at least pretty good with most of your draft picks. If you could be pretty good all the time, uh, that would you'd have a darn good football team as a whole because ultimately it is about a team and you want guys that can help your entire team become better, top to bottom and inside out. That's all I've got for you this week. We will look forward to a jam-packed week next week as we approach the NFL Draft, and what an exciting time that is going to be. You can find us, as you always do, at thepowersweep.com and on Facebook and on Twitter. You know how that entire drill works. If you'd like to reach out to us via email, as several of you have done, and I have enjoyed receiving your emails, we'll maybe take on a couple of them uh, here in, in a while once things settle down around the draft. If you'd like to reach us there, do so at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. Support us on Patreon if you would be so kind. Patreon.com slash thepowersweep or buy a fine-looking t-shirt at uh, teespring.com. Uh, you can reach our store on that fine website by clicking the store link at thepowersweep.com. Give us a review on iTunes if you would like. There is no pressure to do so, but it does help people find the show and makes us look pretty good among those people looking for new Packers podcasts to listen to, so we'd love to have you do that. And we'd always love to hear from you. Any feedback you can give us or thoughts you might have helps this entire operation becomes better, become better and ultimately helps us all become smarter Packers fans. And as I say in each, each and every week, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. At least I hope so. I'm John Meerdink. We'll see you next week on Blue 58.